Hello, welcome to Minority Report. I'm your host, Salomon Flamenco. On today's episode, we have something a little different. We have the director and cast of a short film still in pre-production. Uh, the film is called Desolate Dreams, and the people we have on today to tell us about the film are Kyoko Rhodes, Dion Tillman, and Brent Yoshida. What is Desolate Dreams? Well, good question, listeners. Set in downtown LA in 1942, Desolate Dreams follows Robert Parker, an African-American journalist who advocates for justice alongside a Japanese-American family forced into a prison camp. The obvious background of this being President FDR's Executive Order 9066 following the events of Pearl Harbor. Like I said previously, the film is still in pre-production and they're looking for donors. This is a story of solidarity between two cultures that really deserves to be told. And alongside her killer cast, I really believe Kyoko Rhodes is the best person to tell it. I hope you'll enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Thank you for coming on the show. This is very exciting. Thanks so much for having us. Very excited. Oh, no. <laughs> let's, okay, so who are you all and what do you do? And let's start with the director. <laughs> Hello, everyone. My name is Kiyoka Rhodes. I go by Kex most of the time, and I'm a writer, producer, and director. I have a background in television production and advertising, so I've done commercials and other content for broadcast. And as a filmmaker, director, I'm really passionate about storytelling through that medium, especially in the narrative space. So that is me in a nutshell. Very cool. Dion, you want to go next? Oh, sure. Okay. And my name is Dion Tillman. I am an oh, jack of many trades, an actor, photographer, videographer, and editor to have a background in storytelling. So that's something that drew me to this project here. Cool. And Brent? Hi, my name is Brent Yoshida, playing Kazi Sakamoto. And I was just really drawn to the story of mixed cultures, I have a lot of mixed family. And so I don't know. It's just really wonderful meeting Kex in person. And I'm just very, very excited to be working with these other two. They're just wonderful people. And I'm excited to meet the rest of our team. Let's talk about Desolate Dreams. Kex, could you please tell us more about what inspired this project? Yeah. So the inspiration came in July of 2019 when I visited the Smithsonian National Museum of American History. I went with my sister and my mom, who's from Japan, and they had an exhibit on display at the time called Writing a Wrong, Japanese Americans and World War II. And I remember stepping into that exhibit and just instantly being inspired, just seeing all the personal objects from these people who were incarcerated and just reading about their stories. It was very impactful. And I gravitated to one particular section of the exhibit. It was a smaller section. And it was highlighting the Shishima family. And this family, they were grocers. And they were really good friends with a Mexican-American family named the Morenos. And I was just really intrigued by their friendship and their story and how they, they lived actually above the Moreno family's business. It was a bakery called La Esperanza. And so initially, the story and the direction of Desolate Dreams was a little bit more true to, to that story of the Shishima and their friendships with the Moreno family. So 
I did a lot of research on them and I had a meeting with Bill Shishima, who's one of the sons of the Shishima family and did a couple of drafts of the script, let it sit for a little bit as us writers do. And after a while, I realized that I wanted to put myself into Desolate Dreams somehow. And that's when I started to look at who I am as a person. So I'm, I'm half Black, I'm half Japanese. And I started to look at those two cultures at the time. And not to say that the initial story was not a good story. It was a good story. I just, I wanted to put myself into this and started to look at those two cultures of Black and Japanese and what they were facing during the 1940s. And also just looking at recent years with police brutality in the African-American community and hate crimes against the Asian-American community and minority groups. So I wanted to, I really wanted to show that allyship between these two cultures and what it might have looked like there in that time. For Dion and Brent, what inspired you in taking on your roles? How did you sit Dion. down? <laughs> Brent, you all, you always have me go first. <laughs> I think it's your no, turn. Man, go. You go first this one. It's go. all you. It's all you. Action. <laughs> really, you want me to go first? Yeah, yeah. Sure. Okay, I'll go. What inspired me in taking on this role? Like I mentioned, Dion and Kex are just really, really cool people. And so I'm just excited to partner with them on this story. But also, I don't know, I, I felt like it had a very different spin telling two different sides of the story and how they actually came together. Because a lot of times people don't realize that there's unity in various communities. And that's what I really just, I'm excited to share about this story. And I don't know, it's going to be awesome. I'm just hyped. Yeah, thank you backing off of rent. Like it's just the the idea of it. When I first came across, you know, when when Kex was looking for, you know, different actors, I saw the role of Robert Parker and was like, oh, photographer. I'm like, you know, ding, hello. Well, that's you know, start right there. <laughs> so, but reading into you know what what the the essence of you know the script and everything, it was just an interesting story that I felt needed to be told. I mean, just the the, as you know, Brent said, like the duality of the different sides going on, but just seeing how the worlds come like clash together and how it kind of also connected what was going on in real world time. So it was kind of like history is continuing in itself. I'm a big person to research and, you know, historical facts and things like that. So it just, you know, tied together. So I, I couldn't, I couldn't pass up an opportunity to, you know, join. And again, everybody that's been a part of the team has been amazing. So it just makes it even more fun to work together and tell the story. Yeah. I'm curious real quick between you two, though. How do you place this project and what you're working on here in comparison to some of your other roles and what you've done in the past? Hmm. So, I mean... Different stuff that I've done between short films or like mini series or skits like that. Not, normally it's like more in a comedic role in a sense sometimes. And then other times I've done background, but I've actually done background on historical pieces. So it's not too far off from the idea, you know, of, of the different projects in itself. Ultimately, it's telling the story. And that's what it's all about for me. Like that's what drives me in, it, in that idea. And I don't, you know. Just in a nutshell, that's what it is. I mean, it's just, there's not too much difference in it other than this one might be a little more deeper as far as me 
betraying the essence of what it is until and leading in it. Yeah, I really love storytelling as well. I think that's a common theme for all of us. And I feel that stories that have like a, a triumph through adversity really kind of like pull at my heartstrings. And this was definitely one of those. I don't know, as soon as I got the script or the sides and I was just reading through them, I just, I just went to like a different place, you know? My grandparents, oh, I didn't say this, but my grandparents were incarcerated in the Japanese concentration camps throughout the United States. And so, I don't know, just like, I guess putting myself in that. Growing up, my grandparents didn't really talk too much about what had happened, how they basically got pulled out of their houses. They only could bring one suitcase. It was just kind of like, we acknowledged it. And we would stop by Manzanar pretty much every summer for over a decade with my grandparents. Like my grandpa's name still in one of the rocks over there. It was kind of like a very quiet time where we acknowledged something that happened in history and something that happened within our family. But we didn't really ask too many questions, you know? And I don't know. I just, I, I, when I, once I was reading through the sides, and then I went to the audition and I met Tex and, and then I got to meet Dion. I just, I'm, I'm just so excited for all of us to come together and share this story with the world. I think a lot of people are going to be very interested in hearing and seeing this story kind of play out. And I think it's very important for us in the time that we're in. Thank you for that. Let's, let's keep that thread, right? Because... The contemporary context is really important, but I'm really interested in the historical background of this project. And, right, you look at Japanese incarceration and discrimination against African-Americans, mm -hmm. element that I, I didn't fully realize about the Moreno family. And I'm just curious, how has that informed the film's cross-racial solidarity project? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I don't usually like to compare struggles because each community has their own traumas. But I think what brings the two minority groups together, Black and Japanese or Black and Asian, is that society rejected them in a country that claims to be a place of liberty and freedom. But that was taken away from both groups with slavery and Jim Crow laws in the African-American community to the racist propaganda against the Japanese Americans and their incarceration. For Dion and Brent, I'm really curious. Um, I know only some things have been filmed, but what does your process look like in placing yourselves in this historical context as actors? It's heavy to have to revert back to a certain time where, you know, as Tex just said, like those forms of society were rejected, you know, no matter how just the fact that, you know, as humans were rejected, even though all work was done, you know, minding your business, but everything was done as far as, you know, building the different communities and building the different structures amongst the country to still be treated so poorly for no, no reason. I mean, it's, it's heavy to have to get into that mindset. It's one, I, I'm one of those people that I used to, I used to have that thought of like, oh, I would love to live in that era. You know, you see the old pictures. Like, I would love to do that. Then I would start learning more and going, ah, that wasn't, you know, it wasn't what it looked like. 
in a sense. You know, stuff was made the best of it, but there were so many things that went down that, you know, as Tech said, that just created trauma and, and generational trauma that's still existing in today's time. But I mean, doing the research and finding out more about, you know, the the era that was going on and what Deathly Dreams is based around or inspired by, I should say, even my character. I mean, understanding what exactly like that news outlet was for, you know, it, it helps and aids into the process of being in character and, and understanding what everybody was going through and how it is. So reading the script, you see, you know, certain scenes, I'm not going to say anything, but reading the script, you see certain things that you're just like, ah, like that, that it, it hits home or hits, you know, error of emotion. So yeah, it's just, it's just a heavy process. Yeah, I love, I love what you said, Dion. I feel like that just reminds, it's a reminder of how important the media and what a responsibility they have, right? Because mm-hmm. what we consume, whether it's on social media or on the news or newspaper affects us because we take it as truth. You know, it wasn't, mm-hmm. I feel like it wasn't until recently that things started coming out, right? Of things where we'd be like, oh, actually that wasn't true. That was actually just the way this was spun. And so I, I thought it was a very interesting thing to read about that and, and the responsibility that people in media have to tell the truth and, and to give, depending on, I mean, obviously the source and context, if it's like a reality show, yeah. But if it's news yeah. to try and give as much unbiased and just, I don't know, I, it was just a strong reminder of that. I think, it, and then in terms of historical context, you know, with these stories, I think through COVID and all these different things have been going on, a lot of things have kind of risen to the surface to say, and I've had conversations with my elders and my peers and, and people younger than me as well that have, that maybe conversations that would have come up in the past, but because things are kind of coming to the surface, it's creating a space to talk about it. And I think us within entertainment or within storytelling also have that same responsibility to share these things and to create a safe place for people to have open discussions on both sides. I'm not saying that one side is right or wrong, but to understand the responsibility in that. And I'm just, I don't know, I feel very fortunate to be able to, again, work with them. I, I know I keep saying that, but I just, I really, <laughs> I really love them. And I'm very excited to put our minds together with the whole cast and crew and to deliver a story that's very unique to this world. And so I'm very, I'm very excited to be on board. Yeah. We love you too, Brent. Yeah, we love you too, Brent, I was going to (laughs) say. I wanted to add too, I mean, one of the things that, you know, goes into what Brent and I just said regarding getting into, you know, the character and and getting into the zone of telling the story. A lot of people, especially in today's time, are having this stigma of like, they don't like historical pieces anymore because it creates that energy and, you know, it just, it reminds them, you know, kind of what we're mm-hmm. talking about, like it reminds you of it, but it's one of those things that when you don't know, history repeats itself. And it's like, I think something like this, especially in recent years where, you know, there's been a, there's literally been a divide. I mean, if we can talk about social media, the news, there's been a divide amongst 
you know, black and Asian culture. And mm-hmm. that goes back into, you know, many different historical aspects. But the thing about it is, and why this is important is, it wasn't all such a divide. It's not that there wasn't any, but that wasn't the full story. And that's why this is important. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah just building off of that too, it reminds me of a conversation I was having recently with someone who's Japanese American and he was explaining how he had family members in the camps, I believe Manzanar. And we were talking about Desolate Dreams and he mentioned how it's, there, he's seen a lot of different stories told about the Japanese American incarceration and not to say that they're not good stories, but he was mentioning how with Desolate Dreams, with recent things that have been happening with between both cultures that we've been seeing in the media, he is very very much looking forward to seeing it from this different angle, looking at Black and, and Asian allyship. So I just wanted to add that, just reminded me of that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I want to have ask them as well. And, you know, as, when all the Asian hate crimes were going on, probably a third of my friends are Black. And so I had a lot of them reaching out. And I, you know, I, I want to also cl- narrow that gap as well. Uh, family members, friends, people I consider family that I grew up with. And I don't know. I just, I, I also want to continue to close that gap as well because I think it's important. And I also, Feel like there's not as much division as sometimes is portrayed by the media and so i want to come on board and, and back that up because yeah some of my richest conversations have been uh, with my black friends who have like really poured out their hearts and like checking on me genuinely like asking like do you want me to cruise over there and like just kick it with you or you want to talk about this or whatever it is and i i can't I can't say enough about how much that meant to me in that time. It was a very, like, not confusing thing, but it's a, it's a lot to handle. I think for everyone mm-hmm. on both sides and everyone involved, everyone who's seen it, um, it was it was tough. And so it was a lot to kind of digest. And so for them to reach out, I don't know, I just, I'm talking about right now, I kind of get a little bit emotional because I just feel like, mm-hmm. I feel like as humans, even though we have different color skin, we're not that much different. And, and I'm just, I, I want to like share that story with the world. And I think, I, I believe Dion and Kex do as well, that like mm-hmm. we are humans as just one race as humanity, you know? And so to, to see it from that side, I think is important and, and to close those gaps, not just between black and Asian, but between different races and different cultures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just to like, encapsulate everything that was just said right i mean especially within the last few years the animus like the vitriol between people and especially against minorities black people asian people latinos like it's been so blunt and out in the open it's really disgusting Mm -hmm. and to brent's point and to everyone's point like that is the importance of the media we consume right like that is why that's part of the mission of what i'm doing here I, it looks like that's the mission you guys are trying to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, it's just, this is kind of rambling, but it's just been something that I, we all feel the need to fight back against. Yeah. Is what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, my next question was actually about the media too. So that's mm-hmm. serendipitous, I guess. But 
I wanted to situate this project, Desolate Dreams, in the larger context of the media and entertainment ecosystem right now. What has been the reception like as a casting crew? Have you seen people want to put a greater emphasis on stories like this? Is there still, I mean, obviously systemic barriers are still there, but have you seen any leeway or any of them being broken down? Like, what has it been like? Has it been easy getting attention, difficult? I would say yes and no, with it being difficult getting attention. I think because it's such a targeted audience and such a like niche topic, the general audience may not click with it quickly, but that's why we're doing this film so that the general audience can know about it. So, so yeah, that's what I have to say to that. Yeah. I don't want to interrupt, sorry, but just like in my own head, right? If Robert Parker was a white guy, it would be just American history. Right. Like that's the weird thing to me. Like mm -hmm. it's niche because the cast and crew are majority people of color. Yeah. I mean, even even who he was based off of, John Kenlock, like, I mean, the the California Eagle, when you look at the historic the historical factors of it, there were transitions as far as how that news outlet came to be, but ultimately ended up being ran by a black woman. So it's like to mm -hmm. even know that in that era is kind of like, you know, and even even that story of how, you know, she acquired it, and I don't know if I'm saying her name correctly, it's Char Charlotta Bass, I want to say. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm saying it properly. I don't, you know, so if, if the family hears this or anybody, you know, descends of it, my bad. <laughs> but, uh, but even still, just the, the way that that was acquired and how it was ran and the, the subjects that they focused on, I mean, that's the thing where it's like people... It's news and, it, and it's most things that are important and people need to hear, people don't want to hear, you know, even in, in this field of telling stories and, you know, or, or even in journalism, I mean, you know, the phrase, if it bleeds, it leads, but it's like certain things that are going on, whether it's positive or even just going on outside of, you know, the culture, you know, the base of the culture, it's important. And as you said, you know, if it was a white journalist, it would just be a regular story. You know, it wouldn't be nothing out of the ordinary. You'd be like, okay, you know, but for this to be what it is, like there's so much in it that I think is important for people to understand and to be able to see. Cause I don't think people understood that, hey, you know, there were black journalists back then. There were black and Japanese allyship back then. Like to understand what was going on, it just seemed to most people's identity or ideal of it is everybody was fighting their own battles then it's like nah i mean that people were working together it just nobody nobody wanted to see that be a thing and i think this kind of touches on it too when people see the film like it kind of touches on it that they didn't want to see the allyship because there was power in it mm -hmm. yeah brent do you have anything you want to add to that or yeah can i smash mention it being kind of a niche topic and i think it's niche because of, because, yeah, kind of like sometimes people don't want to accept that or don't want to change, right? They don't want to, they want to keep it in the Japanese community. They want to keep it in the black community. And this is what we're doing. And this is what we're doing, but. The truth is that by doing that, they're actually doing everyone, all cultures, a disservice because 
there was unity. And if you're just only telling Japanese stories within the Japanese community, you only impact the Japanese community and maybe a little bit around it. And, and same with the black community, mm -hmm. right? But like when you begin to accept that there is, there is unity and I have white friends too. It's not like just, oh, oh, you know, it's, there's unity. I had white people reaching out to me during the Asian hate thing as well. So it's not just, it's not just Asian. It's not just black and Asian. There's also other people of all different skin colors. You, there's unity that they want, but if those stories aren't being told and accepted at the higher levels, then there's never going to be ch change, true change, because that's what the media is portraying. And that's what people in entertainment are portraying. So I think it's really about expanding our idea of what that can look like, what storytelling can look like, and beginning to mix cultures and, and how that comes together. Because I'm pretty sure most of us have at least one other color friend of whatever we are, right? So, and we consider them a friend, regardless of skin color. And so I think it began to open the minds, like be a little bit more open to storytelling with unity from different stories, like having crossover. That's what I found truly beautiful about this story. And yeah, that's why I'm fully behind Kex and, and, and what she's doing to get it out there. I'm, I'm so happy. Thank you again for having us. Thanks, Brent. Brent, yeah. Thank you, Brent, again. Yeah. Do you see this particular moment as the moment? Are things finally changing in a way that these stories could be told, right? Whether you're a Black storyteller, an Asian storyteller, is this the time where, like, the boulder can be moved? Or what are your thoughts on this? I always think of this quote. I, sh I feel like I shared this quote in, like, every interview. But there's a director that I greatly admire named Domaine Davis. And one time she told me to create what speaks to you, not what the market demands. So I feel like, like, if the market is demanding for this, like, yes, it's it's the time to to launch it. But I feel like, you know, if you have a story like this and it's not demanding demanded in the market, I think you should still go for it and, you know, not like fight the system, but like, you know, do what you can to I mean, maybe you have to fight the system actually, but do what you can to 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 make it happen. And what Brent was talking about, it just reminded me too, someone was saying on an interview that I was listening to like recently and about these kind of stories and like how will people know about these stories unless there's people to tell them and platforms for these kind of stories to be told so i would say yes now is the time but it can always be the time we just have to get it out there somehow for people to see them yeah what have been some of the challenges if i might ask in production and funding i know it's mostly crowd mm -hmm. uh, you could speak on that it'd be really insightful yeah, I think I feel like any independent filmmaker can attest to this, that fundraising is such a challenge, <laughs> especially with short films, let alone a period piece. And since this is a short film, there haven't really been much interest from like investors. For example, I'm not really reaching out to investors. I, we do have one investor and she is also the executive producer. She's awesome. But majority of the funds have come from individual monetary contributions and we have a sponsor so we've been reaching out for other potential sponsors so it's been a process but we will get there 
and I'm optimistic. Yeah. Is, I'm not directly involved with Desolate Dreams, but I have to say, so am I. I mean, I can clearly see the passion in everyone's faces and talking about this and the need to tell this story. Yeah, I just wanted to say that. This next question I phrased a little weird, but I want to like get your thoughts on it. And it's been talked about a lot already in this conversation, but how has being raised in multi-ethnic communities uh, influenced your work in this project? If you could extrapolate on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I touched on it a little bit earlier about wanting to put myself in this, being Black and Japanese and showing that allyship between the two. But I think like in general, just thinking about my upbringing and growing up and experiencing all kinds of stuff from both sides of the culture clashing, like being told I'm not Black enough or I'm not really Japanese because I'm half Black or there's also like, oh, but you're not half white and Japanese. I'm Anyway, that's another story topic of discussion. But my point of bringing that up is, you know, sometimes voices try to put these two communities against each other. But I think there's shared solidarity between these cultures. So yeah, as I mentioned before, I wanted to show that on screen. But I definitely think that with this film and especially with the feature film that I'm currently writing and I plan to pitch this year, it's definitely inspired or influenced by me being raised in a multi-ethnic community. Can we get a teaser of the script you're working on? <laughs> I will just say it is in the martial arts space, but I, I'm not going to give anything about the plot for now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going to keep my eye but on I, I will <laughs> say that I tend to... I guess my work as a director and a filmmaker and a storyteller, I focus on topics like, for example, like this is about a very important piece of history, right? Dust of Dreams. And I try to focus on topics that I'm passionate about or that make people, not make people, because you can't make people do anything, <laughs> that get people to think about their perspectives on things. So I know that's super fun, but... When it's announced, it will be announced and you will all understand. Okay. I'll make a, how do you say, amendment to this episode. <laughs> <With that note. laughs> this is a little embarrassing, but I realized I forgot to ask what Desolate Dreams is. I don't need to be embarrassed. <laughs> so Desolate Dreams, I'll focus on the word desolate first. So there was a interview that I was reading and it was of one of the Japanese Americans that were incarcerated. And this person was talking about how they went from being in downtown LA and then now being in this desolate land. And I mean, it's really what it was. All these camps were in desolate lands. There was, lands, there was nothing there. It was just literally a mountain and like dirt everywhere. And, and then the dreams part is because a lot of these people were taken away from their lives, their dreams, and they were just put in these camps. And so their dreams were desolate. So it's kind of like a play on words that are used interchangeably. That makes sense. Yeah. No, it does. And I, again, it's just the weight in which all this, you know, must weigh on you guys. Like even me from my own little corner of it, like I feel the need to do justice to these 
to this topic, you know? So I do think mm -hmm. that's, how, how do you, yeah, do you reckon with that in any way or how do you think about that? Yeah, I definitely want this film to, to pay homage to the Japanese Americans um, that were incarcerated. I'm sorry, I would have to think about this. I mean, I mean, it's kind of like spoken earlier, like because it's such a heavy topic. I mean, definitely want to do it justice. I mean, there's no really other way to word it as far as portraying the character. It's portraying, you know, just the emotion of what was going on during those times. And to be honest, I don't think a lot of people are even aware that these things were going on during those times, at least not to the extent of how it went down. And of course, people, you know, they watched the, the teaser. Or, you know, once they finally see the, the full product, I don't think people were aware that stuff like this even happened. And, but again, that goes to show, I mean, the education system and what they teach you in history, you know, about what they inform you about, it's kind of like, you know, so having such a project and a story to tell, it comes with, you know, the responsibility of, of making sure it's told and portrayed correctly. And yeah. that's just, you know. Being, you know, mm -hmm. playing as Robert Parker, like I said, I'm just hoping that I can bring that to fruition and, and even showcase, you know, Texas dreams of how she envisioned it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, kind of what you were saying, you're, you were saying how even in your, you said small corner, but I think everyone has, they see their own influence as like small, right? They're like, oh, I just, I'm just, who am I to like, I can't really move the world. But I think when we come together and again, I said earlier, this is from all of us. We really appreciate you taking the time to ask these questions and be curious about the story that we're trying to tell. And so again, thank you so much for having us on board. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a pleasure. And, but I think going back to that, the small corner is like when we all unite and we kind of come together to tell these things that we find moving for us, to tell these stories that we find important for not only, you know, those who have come before us in our own generation, but the generations forever, as long as film goes. That's the beauty of film is we can watch old films and see the story that they're trying to tell. What was the message that they were trying to say? And in our own little corners together, I think collectively we can move, move, begin to shift things, begin to share a different or unique perspective. So building off of Dion's point about people just not knowing about this period, it's very surprising. Just different people that I've talked with have no idea that this happened. Some knew about it, maybe saw like a paragraph in their history books growing up, but I think that that's one of the things with this film is it's going to raise awareness for people like that who aren't aware about this period. So I just wanted to add that. Um, it's yeah. crazy when you think about that. Yeah, no, the you know <laughs> education system isn't very good. <laughs> it's it's a shame. Like you should be taught this. You should be taught the unsavory things about this country's history. They just would rather you be ignorant to what's happened and what is happening. Well, I think something that's related to concentration camps and on that point is 
there was a point in time when the United States government denied the fact that there were guard towers with armed, mm-hmm. you know, that were armed. Mm-hmm. And when I used to visit Manzanar, it was like basically they had wiped everything. There was no barracks. There was, everything had, I would just go out there just like little rocks and it was just desert and barbed wire. And we would, so it wasn't until recently that they've rebuilt some of the barracks. They put like a ba- little basketball court. They have a tower, which before was completely denied. But the problem was that this photography, people snuck in cameras. And then once those pictures got printed, like there was obviously towers are pretty prominent. So they're in so many photos. And it was only in, at that, it was during that time that news started to come out that there actually was towers which everyone in the camp knew about, but what we're reading as me- from media was never told that, you know? And so that's what I'm talking about, the responsibility of the media is to tell the truth and to, to dive down and find the truth is that's just one example, you know, of something that was completely hidden or just like swept under the rug. And it was portrayed that this is, this is how it was, but in reality, it was a very different situation. I should also mention that this film, out of all the 10 camps, centers around Heart Mountain, which is in Wyoming. So I don't think I mentioned that earlier. That's good. That's good to know, though. It's, yeah, I don't want to, yeah, well. (laughs) (laughs) You got (laughs) It's just so much like reckon with, you know, like it. Yeah, I know for sure. The racism and xenophobia of this country runs so fucking deep. I mean, yeah, like, yeah. it's, it's, I don't know. It I means, mean, but I mean, and even like Brent just mentioned, I mean, how you said people had to sneak cameras in somewhere. Like, I mean, when we're talking about, you know, as I said, like, I mean, we're all storytellers for me, like when it comes to like photojournalism, like something, that's something that's always drawn me to photography since I was like little to the fact that you can see a photo and it could tell a whole story of everything that happened during that piece. But without that, you have no knowledge of anything that happened. You know, people can write or tell anything, but a photo, I mean, you got AI now, but, <laughs> but a photo is like, you can't deny the evidence of it. I mean, they had film, they had film cameras back then, but it wasn't like, you know, bringing your phone somewhere. You had to like set up a whole station to get that. So it's, you're not going to see as much clips of that. But a photo to be able to even use that to research for this right here, like that, it just emphasizes the point of like how much and how little we have documented of what went out or what went on back then. And then even like Brian was saying, why we don't have that for those reasons. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, so again, when it ties back into these type of stories and some people not knowing or not wanting to know, it's like, I mean, Sure, ignorance can be bliss, but at the same point, you got to know what's going on, or at least what happened. Because there's a lot of people who do things, and as we see in the country, like literally stuff is going on that happened a decade or two ago, five decades ago, you know, during the era that we even, you know, showcasing, and people want to act like it's brand new, and it's like, no, that's the problem. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really feel like it's a responsibility on both sides, the media to tell accurate stories and also the whole like 
the public, right? To dive down and ask questions or to push stories that of things that are unique, like, like desolate dreams, you know, like those kind of different narratives that we haven't seen or heard about. And so I, I just, it's really cool. It's a very malleable time where things, the media is changing because there's so much of it. Mm-hmm. So you can really find content on anything you want, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but also you, it gets kind of lost in everything, right? So it's, it's kind of like a, there's always pluses and minuses, but the internet has really changed the game, obviously. I think the the positive spin on that would be your story is out there somewhere, right? It's just whether mm-hmm. how accessible is it to you and how easy yeah. is it to find. So mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest plus to yeah. this new world win, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's well said. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. I, I think we're going to start closing out soon, but you've talked about this in many different angles in this conversation, but... What would you want people to take away from this film when it's completed? Yeah, so as mentioned earlier, I definitely want people to be aware about this period of history. I think the first thing is that and that the Japanese-American incarceration took place because as mentioned, there's still a lot of people that don't even know this happened. And I would also say that I want people to reflect on the importance of different perspectives and what different minority groups face as one of the things that I people take away. But along with that too, I want people to see the importance of communities coming together as allies. But just in general, there's a lot of uh, underlying themes in the film too about like the value of friendships and time spent with family because life is short. So there's definitely a lot of different ways that people can emotionally connect to the film and take something away from it. Thank you for that. Do y'all have any thoughts? Oh, I mean, Kex pretty much, you know, said it being <laughs> in that essence of it. I mean, just understanding that um, just the type of people that were around during that time. I mean, again, you had Asian store, Japanese store owners during those times. You had, you know, black journalists back then that connected with each other, you know, all in the same community. I think that's just something that I want people to understand that, again, some some things aren't new that are going on in present time. They just got lost in translation due to certain events that occurred in those ordeals. Where can the people find you on social media? So on Instagram and Facebook, we are at Desolate Dreams Film and on Twitter at Desolate Film. And we also have a website, www.desolatedreamsfilm.com. Great. I'll put that in the podcast notes. Thank you. And the crowdfunding link, which is on the website. All in the link. Thank Everything you so is all there. Yes. Thank you all for coming on the show. Awesome. Thank Thanks you for having us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, I'm going to keep this a little short because I'm feeling a little sick. I don't know if you can tell by my voice cadence. I don't know how nasally I sound or not. I won't find out until after I finish recording this. Um, But yeah, as promised to Kex, all the socials for the film, along with the fundraising page, will be in the podcast notes. Please check them out. I hope this came across in this uh, audio-only format, but you can really see the passion in their eyes. 
not only as storytellers, but as storytellers for this specific project. They really bring something to this that I personally cannot wait to see unfold in the future. One of the alternative titles for this episode was going to be Desolate Dreams, The Promise of a Multi-Ethnic America. And I thought that was a little too broad. I, I don't think that did justice to the topic or the conversation. But I think that is a big takeaway for this, right? There's never been, in the history of the world, a country like this, right? And we're going to talk about this more next week. And yeah, there are a lot of faults at the heart of that. But there's something really amazing about that mission, isn't it? To have so many diverse backgrounds come together for the betterment of all. Uh, we will expand on that more next time when I feel, uh, hopefully, a little better. <laughs> this has been Minority Report with me, your host, Salomon Flamenco. If you want to reach us on Instagram, you can reach us at minority underscore report underscore pod. Or you can reach out to me on my personal Instagram at Salmon Flamingos. If you want to keep up with the conversation, email us at minorityreport.beat at gmail.com. I will see you all next time. And in the meanwhile, I will go back to watching The West Wing and consuming Dayquil until I feel better. Bye bye.